Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, Beyond the Ball Podcast back again with another episode. Super excited about this one. Coach Klump, we are getting this conversation going on a weekday, which is unusual for us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thursday, 429. It's the only one we're ever going to have. And an exciting guest today. Have you ever seen Alan? We ha- I have. Um, was had an opportunity to see him on a couple different virtual clinics, I believe. And then we, my staff and I, went down one time. He had a, you know, just a high school program had brought him in in his earliest days of training and you could go online and kind of sign up and register. It was, you know, I forget the name of the sign up process. It was something silly like Eventbrite or something. I shouldn't say silly, but something like Eventbrite where you just go on and you pay like 10 bucks to the home school and then you show up and you get to listen to Alan Stein speak. So uh, maybe, maybe one of the cheapest, you know, presentations he's given in the last couple of years, yeah. uh, you know, just a great, great speaker, great ideas, great concepts. That conversation was mostly about training though. Uh, it wasn't really about motivation and things like that. It was mostly about like sports specific training, um, which was just awesome. So it's kind of cool to see his journey. Have you had the opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just kind of like you when he was first getting going, uh, back in 2003, I, I made the trip down to West Virginia university. I believe it was coach Beeline's second year with the Mountaineers. Um, and same thing. He came on the court, did a bunch of different presentations, um, drills about dynamic warmups and how to take them to the next level. And it was, it was a great presentation. Um, and I followed him on social media and a bunch of social media platforms ever since. Yeah, he's, um, he's done some pretty cool things. So we're super excited to get to talk to him back to back with, you know, another author that we had on last week. So, um, just getting all kinds of cool conversations going. How has your week been? I know it's Pretty been good. only a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. We're winding down here with the crazy football season. The varsity just got back um, to see all the boys back in action with smiles on their faces. You know, um, and just getting a chance to to wrap up some of these senior years with, uh, you know, their their football careers. And it's it's nice to, to see the seniors finally get the opportunity. Yeah, it's um it's crazy here in Western New York. We're getting started with our spring season finally. And we were talking a little bit off air of just about how crazy it is trying to get everybody 
with the overlap, mm-hmm. you know, from the from the fall two season, get everybody in, and if they need gym space on a rainy day, do we have enough room? Because practices are an issue, and it's just kind of chaotic. So I'm really excited to just get a chance to like sit here and talk. Take a deep breath with you. Yeah, yeah take an hour out of my day and just kind of decompress here for a little bit. So I'm super excited about that. Another thing that helps me stress is is definitely just taking the time to pray and and get centered. So you usually do that for us. What do you got for us today? All right. I'll try to come through for you and the rest of our listeners with Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Um, it's very reassuring. You know, remember your leader who taught us the word of God. Let us think of all the good that has come from their lives and the follow, the example of faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It reminds me to be intentional in the way that I'm living, you know, modeling the the way that Jesus did modeled so well for us on how he served, loved and cared. And it just as, as we are in a position of leadership and our kids are certainly in need of that, those examples, us modeling that being there for them to lead, to guide, to serve, to love, to care. Yeah, I think in, as you had sent me that verse a little earlier, you know, I had a chance to reflect on it and get myself ready about how I wanted to approach that. And I, I feel very much the same as you, but my takeaway on it was honestly about seeking out under seeking out other people, excuse me, that are going to lead me still, right? Obviously, you know, being a man of faith, Jesus is that obviously that first mm-hmm. leader, but in this world of human interaction, that inner circle that you start to build around you also has to be people that are going to guide you properly and, you know, letting people in and not letting people in and whose opinion do you listen to, whose opinion do you, do you disregard surrounding yourself? I think maybe for our listeners, you know, and people like you and me that are intentional about those things, you want to really make sure that you surround yourself with people that A, are going to tell you the truth, but also people that have your best interest at heart and are going to do it in a, in a fundamentally, you know, faithful, hopefully way. And that's, that's my biggest takeaway when I saw that, you know, who am I surrounding myself with, right? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God, like that word though, that phrase right there just kind of blows my mind. Like, my leaders, my mentors, the people that are in my circle need to be people of faith that are mm-hmm. keeping me accountable to what my life is supposed to be like. And then on the other end, like you just said, it's a reminder that in this leadership position, you know, we need to be setting the tone for, you know, our spouse, our kids, our students, our athletes, our friends and our family. So uh, that was a good one today, coach. That really, uh, really got me centered. So Thank I you. appreciate you. Appreciate sure. you. I got you. So what are we thinking? We want to get out right away and get oh, right yeah, to Oh, yeah, let's Alan? get this going. All right, sounds good. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Alan Stein with us. Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www. 
www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. All right, guys, we are super excited. We are back with Beyond the Ball. I can't even, I'm fumbling over my words. Alan Stein, you're here to join us. How are you doing, sir? I am fantastic. I'm equally excited to be with you guys. Awesome. Alan, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Ball. We are extremely grateful you took the time to join us this afternoon. Uh, Our mission is to continue to celebrate those that serve and lead others. And you, for one, have certainly been doing that for, for the past. So 25 years ago, when your journey first started to get going, did you think at the time this is the direction that you, you wanted to go in? Well, in full transparency, 25 years ago, I don't know that I had great clarity on any direction that I was going. <laughs> uh, the The only thing that I knew wholeheartedly was that I loved the game of basketball and I loved serving others. And I wasn't exactly sure in what direction that would go. I know initially uh, I thought that I would go the traditional coaching route, you know, be a, a history teacher by day and a basketball coach by night. Uh, but, but as I matriculated up through college, I started to realize that I was not near as passionate about the teaching portion of that equation as I was about the coaching portion and decided uh, to actually pursue a newfound love at the time, which was strength and conditioning and performance training. So when I graduated college in the late 90s, uh, I became a basketball performance coach, or at the time, a basketball strength and conditioning coach, and had an absolute blast doing that. Uh, I did that mostly at the high school level by preference, but that opened up some doors to work with some guys in the NBA and so forth, uh, and did that for almost 20 years before I made the most recent pivot, which I made four years ago, uh, to become a corporate keynote speaker and author. Awesome. And, um, you know, many times our guests talk about the the influence of mentorship and mentors in their life. Uh, What was a great piece of advice um, maybe a mentor had for you when when you're starting out your journey? The best piece of advice I ever got uh, as a young person uh, was to find what it is that you love to do, what you're passionate about, and find what it is that you're naturally pretty good at, where your talents lie, and then find where those two things intersect. And if you can find the intersection between what you're pretty good at and what you love to do, uh, that's going to be called your strength zone. And the more time you can spend in your strength zone, uh, the happier and more fulfilled and, and more alive you'll feel. And for me, that intersection was always between basketball and, and coaching and basketball and being of service to others. And uh, as I said, then then I, I kind of changed and and you know, uh, expanded that intersection to go into the corporate keynote speaking. And that's one thing that I think, uh, is fun about life that, you know, over, over time, as you mature and you gain new experiences, you'll find new things that you love to do and you'll unpack new skills and hidden talents that you didn't know you had. And I would love to continue that, that thought right there. So when you're just making this decision to pivot, uh, into a new realm, did you, Personally, because Eric and I are, you know, we're in our maybe early 40s, not to disclose how old we are per se, but we've had those same life experience come up and new opportunities. And I can't speak for Eric, but myself, I've felt always uh, willing to take those and explore those like you have. But what has your path been in making those decisions? Like, have you found that super stressful? Was that kind of like a natural flow for you? You just attacked it you know, relentlessly without fear every time. 
for our listeners that may be experiencing some of that, like what was that path for you? Because we see like just the progression. We've been fans for years. We've seen you in clinics, you know, over a decade ago. So we've kind of followed your journey a little bit and it seems pretty natural and seamless and like empowering. What was that like from a personal standpoint? Well, I certainly appreciate your kind words and, and your support. Uh, let me put a couple other puzzle pieces in place to, to hopefully put this entire framework to make uh, make it make more sense and put it into context. So both of my parents were elementary educators. Uh, my mom taught first grade for 30 years, uh, and my dad was an elementary school teacher for the first half of his career, and then the second half was actually an administrator and a middle school principal. Uh, so I grew up with a very strong reverence and appreciation uh, for teaching and for those in education which uh, I very much consider uh, coaching just kind of an extension of teaching. You know, my, my reverence and appreciation for teachers certainly extends to those in coaching. And one thing that I, I learned from my parents, but also saw firsthand with them modeling was that teaching and coaching, those are professions that you have to be all in. Yeah, heart, mind, body, soul, like that is not a profession that you can mail it in or just go through the motions because you are literally having a profound impact on young people. I mean, you, you're basically guiding and directing uh, the future of our world and uh, you have to hold that very sacred. So, uh, and I had always known that. So, you know, after doing the basketball performance work at the high school level for just about 20 years, I noticed that my passion for being on the court and working on improving athleticism was starting to fade a little bit. Uh, I don't want to be over dramatic and say that I was burnt out, but I could see that I was heading in that direction. And for me, that was a major red flag. You know, remembering the, those lessons that my parents taught me, um, I didn't want to just keep going through the motions. I didn't want to keep showing up to the gym or the weight room, knowing that I just wasn't as passionate as I had been in years prior, uh, because I had too much respect for the players I was working with, too much respect for the coaches of the teams I was working with, too much respect for for the game itself, uh, and certainly too much respect for myself uh, to do something that I could feel that the fire was starting to dim. So, so that was the main impetus for me wanting to make a change and do something else was I, I just wasn't as excited to be on court doing performance work as I had been before. One other puzzle piece that I think is important, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I was working uh, an event for the NBA Players Association, and they brought in a quote-unquote motivational speaker. And they brought in this guy, and his name was Walter Bond, and he's a very, very successful speaker still to this day. And he gave a, a riveting talk to all of the campers and coaches there. And I remember sitting there, and, and in about four 45 minutes, he took us on a real emotional journey. You know, there we are, a, a group of alpha male, world-class athlete players and some incredibly accomplished coaches. And we're sitting there hanging on every word. And he, he made us cry. He made us laugh. He made us think. And I just remembered at the end of his talk, kind of thinking to myself, I want to do that one day. Like that, that, what that guy just did was, was magical to me. And I want to do that one day. And, and at that time, you know, I was still uh, in the full, you know, trenches of basketball performance work and loving every minute of it and spending 10 to 12 hours every day in the gym and in the weight room. So I wasn't ready to make that change at that time, but I planted the seed at that time. And then if you fast forward to four years ago, uh, when it was time for me to make a pivot, 
uh, I had absolutely zero doubt that going down the path of being a keynote speaker was my next move because that seed had been planted by Walter Bond many years ago. So uh, for me to answer you, the other part of your question, there was absolutely zero doubt, zero hesitation and zero stress in making that move. I just I felt that that I was called to do that. Uh, it's just a tremendous answer. And, and I love how you finished that off called to do that. Um I heard I saw a video of where you emphasized uh, the phrase "how you do anything is how you do everything." Um, in, two, in 2018, I attended a, a, my first PGC clinic, and the director um, used that phrase, and I was like, "Wow, so powerful!" It, it, it really hit me, and, and went to see you um, use that as well. Um, it just seems like how how you ended that question, and you just wanted to challenge yourself and see what you could do in the next realm, like how you do anything is how you do everything. Is that so? Why is that so important in personal growth and high performance? Well, you know, what's kind of funny. So uh, I also have a podcast and it's called the raise your game show. And, and I decided to do it to be an extension of my book, which is called raise your game. And this last season that I just aired, I had a couple of colleagues come on and we would have a panel discussion uh, over what we called uh, certain cliches and quotes that we would question. And funny enough, how you do anything is how you do everything was one of the ones that that I got some pushback on. Uh, a couple of my really good friends and colleagues actually disagreed with that and said, no, uh, how you do anything is not how you do everything. And we had a really fun uh, discussion slash debate on that. And I still hold firm uh, with that belief. And that's still a quote that I, I use regularly and hold dearly uh, that how you do anything is how you do everything. But for, but for your listeners, uh, if you're willing to expand the, the breadth of podcasts that you listen to, you should check out that episode because uh, they made some really good counterpoints uh, on why that doesn't necessarily resonate with them, um, which I think is fun. You know, for me, uh, and I will answer your question in just a moment. Sorry to go on a tangent, but, uh, you know, for me, I, I've been a self-diagnosed quote nerd ever since I was in high school. Like, I've just always loved quotes. There's something that that the way you can arrange certain words can really make a, a lesson or, or something have tremendous impact and really resonate. Uh, so I, I love quotes. And that's always been one of my favorite ones. And, you know, I've always looked at it to kind of equate to that you don't just pick and choose when you flip on your excellent switch. You either aim to be excellent in everything that you do or you don't. You can't pick and choose. And, and that's really uh, a standard that I try to hold myself to. You know, certainly I aim for excellence in my speaking business and, and for writing a new book uh, and, and anything that I do vocationally. But, but I also want to aim for excellence as a father of my three children. And, and I want to show up to be the best version of myself for them as consistently as I can. You know, I, I want to aim for excellence in every single thing that I do. And uh, that's really what that quote means to me. Um, but if you guys listen to that episode, you'll see why, uh, you know, it doesn't have the same resonation with other people. So, um, yeah, but that, that's really kind of, uh, the way that, that, that I try and approach everything that I do in my life. Yeah. Uh, we were just in my district here. We do some for professional growth. We do book clubs and stuff and, um, yours has not become one of the books yet. I keep pushing for it, but in one of the conversations we were having the other week, we were talking about goals 
versus standards and how as a coach and a teacher you try to have goals for your students it's used in a lot of like educational paperwork and you know you see it all the time in coaching clinics about goal setting and i've always been like a goal goal guy as well right i'm trying to do my best as well and grow and improve but this idea of standards do you see a difference between goals and standards is it kind of the same thing or how do you differentiate no, I, I do see a slight difference, and, and I'm so glad you went in this direction. This this is actually a, a, a fun topic and theme for us to discuss. You know, one thing that I've come to learn is when we're talking about language and specific words that in addition to the actual literal definition, there's always a connotation with every single word, and it'll evoke some type of emotion. So at, at face value, uh, we could both, you and I could both hear the same word but we internalize it different. It makes us feel different. A perfect example, you know, one of the most popular words in in today's culture is the word hack, uh, which means, you know, basically uh, to find an easier or quicker way to do something. You know, people talk about life hacks and so forth. And for some reason, uh, I can't even quite pinpoint, that word has always had a very negative connotation to me. You know, I, I hear the word hack and I think of shortcut, you know, I think of, uh, let me try to do the, you know, go the easiest path. Uh, and that's just not congruent with my own values and belief systems. So uh, there's nothing wrong with the word hack. And I have some really intelligent, high-performing friends and colleagues that use that word because it works for them. But the word doesn't necessarily work for me. And I find the same with almost any any word. Um, you know, we can talk about goals, we can talk about standards, we can talk about rules. You know, I come from kind of the the lineage of the Coach K model that he doesn't have a lot of rules for his players at Duke, but what he does have are standards. And he believes that if everyone in the Duke program uh, upholds and lives up to those standard, standards on a daily basis, then you don't need to have a bunch of rules. And that he looks at rules as a way to, to that really confine people. Well, in a similar fashion, I've been a fairly goal-oriented person most of my life, but I'd say that that shifted over the last few years where um, I don't worry so much about goals. What I tend to focus on much more now is the process. And I consider standards being a part of that process. That that if I can focus on the daily process and the micro steps and the micro skills and the standards needed to achieve excellence, then any goal that I could come up with will take care of itself. And that's really how I look at it now. Now, I don't think there is anything wrong with setting goals. Uh, what I use is the analogy uh, of a GPS, which I know is somewhat cliche in, in today's self-development world. But, you know, when you talk about a GPS, there's really only two pieces of information that you need. You need to know exactly where you are in the moment. And you need to know the ending address or the ending uh, destination that you'd like to end up. Those are the only two pieces of information that the GPS needs. Uh, and I think those two pieces of information are pretty important for us as human beings. I think every single one of us should have the self-awareness to know, quote unquote, where we are in the moment. And we should also have a North Star to know where it is that we're trying to go. But once you have those two pieces of information, uh, then what's most important is the process or in the GPS analogy, simply listening to the directions and making the rights and the lefts and getting off on this exit or making this U-turn or doing whatever the, the GPS tells you to do. You know, for most people, once you put in that ending address, you just kind of set it and forget it. You don't have to look at it or think about it again. All you have to do is follow the steps 
and you greatly increase your chance that you will end up at that destination. And that's kind of how I live my life now. Uh, I don't set goals like number of speaking engagements in a year or trying to sell a certain number of books or trying to have a certain number of followers. Uh, I just try to be of value to others, uh, put out as much quality content as I'm capable of. And I just figure those things will take care of themselves. Yeah. So I, and I appreciate that answer. That's such a great one. One of the reasons I wanted to get your in, insight on that is because one of our coaches in the conversation, and I truly respect everything that they do for our program. One of the goals for their team and for this upcoming off season and next season is to win the league championship. And one of the things that over my years of experience tells me is that winning a league championship is tough. Like not many teams do that. Coach Clump's teams, Eric's teams win them all the time, but not my team so much, you know, and if that's your goal, that's, that's kind of setting yourself up for some disappointment at the end. So that's kind of where I just want loving the insight, you know, any ideas on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is so much fun. I, I love the direction you guys are, are, are sending this to. Uh, the issue with something like that is that that is basically an outcome. And, and I try not to think too much about outcomes, you know, again, going back to the process. Well, first and foremost, um, on some level, you can almost imagine that every team in that conference has the same goal at the very beginning of the season, which is to win a conference championship. Now, for some teams, that's probably more realistic than others, but I bet most coaches at the beginning of the season say that is our goal. Well, if every team has the exact same goal and only one can achieve it, then what about the other 11 or 14 or 19 teams in the conference? Like there's something that's a disconnect there. So I would rather focus on standards and things that we have more control over or more influence over instead of outcomes. Um, And, you know, uh, the the best way I can describe this is uh, I've had a chance to to meet with and work with uh, the coaching staff at Queens University down in Charlotte. Uh, Coach Bart Lundy uh, and associate head coach uh, Grant Leonard are two absolutely brilliant basketball minds. And for anyone listening, if you're not familiar with Queens, they are one of the top Division II uh, basketball programs in the country. And they have done such a magical job of breaking down the the data and the analytics and they've found that there are four key statistics that heavily influence whether or not they win a game uh, and because you guys are are hoop heads and basketball guys you know I know I can speak your language you know the first is uh, a turnover differential or possession differential you know they want to have more possessions than their opponent obviously uh, the second is offensive rebound differential The more offensive rebounds you get, the more possessions you get, the more shots you get. You know, they want to take more shots than their opponent. The third is free throws attempted. They find a direct correlation with how many free throws they shoot per game and how aggressive their team is in attacking the basket. And the fourth statistic is three-pointers attempted. Uh, They find that when their guys make the extra pass and they're unselfish uh, and they pass up a good shot for a great shot, that they get a lot of wide-open threes. Queens University has found that when they come out on top of those four statistical categories, they win 97% of their games. I'm going to say that one more time because it's pretty profound. When they come out on top, In those four categories, turnover differential, offensive rebounding differential, uh, free throws attempted, 
and three-pointers attempted, they win 97% of their games, meaning they are almost unbeatable when they win those four statistical categories. So what do you think Queens University practices every single day? What do you think they emphasize in every team meeting and in every film session? Those four things, because they know those things lead to winning. So they don't have to have goals of winning a game or winning a conference or winning the league or winning a championship. They just focus on not turning the ball over, on getting offensive rebounds, on attacking the basket and and getting more free throws, and on making the extra pass for wide open threes. If they just focus on those standards and they focus on that process, the winning just takes care of itself. And if you can do that consistently, then things like conference championships and final fours and national championships, they just take care of themselves. You don't even need to write that on the whiteboard. Our goal is to win or our, it'll just take care of itself. Our goal is to not turn the ball over. And now we're going to work on how we can do that. Our goal is to get more offensive rebounds. Here's how we're going to be able to do that. So I just really love that approach. And I try to apply that same mindset and mental construct to everything I do in the business world. Yeah, I just, I just oh, tremendous stuff. Yeah, I was following Radius, Radius Athletics um, on Twitter, and after every round of the tournament, they would post how many teams. Um, I think it was with the Sweet Sixteen. It was fourteen out of sixteen won all four of those categories, and they moved on. Yeah, and and my guess is, you know, having been in basketball my whole life those four categories are not necessarily unique to Queens. My guess is those four would apply to most teams at most levels, but also know that, that depending on your style of play, how fast you like to play offensively or what, what defensive system you use, uh, those things might not be the exact four that every, every team would use. There might be some others, but the, the whole point of it is not even what the categories are or statistics are. It's simply unpacking and having the self-awareness and team awareness to know what yours are specifically, and then making sure that every practice and every film set and every workout is built to improve those areas. And that's the thing. When you go to a Queens practice, there's no fluff. They've already trimmed all the fat. They're not just doing a bunch of drills just for the sake of doing them. Everything they're doing is in alignment with improvement in the areas that they know lead to winning. They have figured out what wins and then they practice what wins. And, you know, it's funny. I'm saying that with a smile because that sounds incredibly obvious, Uh, It sounds common sense, but there's a whole host of people in both basketball and business that don't do that, that, that show up every day for practice and just do a, a random smattering of drills. You know, they, they do drills that they did back when they played 25 years ago, because they think you're just supposed to do those drills. And they, they do all sorts of things that aren't focused on what actually wins. And, and to be clear, you know, uh, especially when you're talking about younger ages, uh, I'm not saying that winning is the only important thing, but that is kind of the point of playing the game. So uh, Queens also does a tremendous job in helping their players off the court. I mean, they work on leadership and communication and building a strong culture and, and making sure their players develop life skills. So when they graduate, so I'm not saying that the only thing that program emphasizes are those four statistical categories, but when we talk about simply on the court, you know, once you step in between the lines, that's what gets all of the focus. 
Just tremendous stuff. And uh, Alan, I want to backtrack a little bit. We were talking about answering Justin's questions about the standards and goals and set and, and going back to setting the destination. And in your opinion, is one of the big difference makers, and even with a Queen's example, it, one of the big biggest difference makers from there would be just the level of investment, right? Absolutely. You know, level of investment and, and commitment uh, is going to lead to execution. I mean, execution is really the name of the game. You know, that's the thing. Every single team, and, and this isn't just relegated to, to, you know, your guys' conference in basketball. I mean, at the start of every NBA season, you have 30 teams who have the sole goal of winning a, a championship. At the beginning of every NFL season, you have roughly 30 teams that have the exact same goal. So it's not the goal that separates everyone. It's their ability to collectively work together and cooperate and execute to make that happen. And obviously, talent plays a role, especially when we're talking about sports. So, you know, yes, it certainly helps to have um, more talent and helps to have better athletes and it helps to have great coaching. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's the ones that have a clear game plan and execute that game plan most efficiently and most consistently are the ones who give themselves the best chance to win. So while some people are so focused on that North Star, they're not even listening to the GPS telling them the directions. I would rather not even worry about the destination and listen intently to every single direction so that every time the GPS tells me to go right, I go right. Tells me to make a U-turn, I make a U-turn. And the more closely I can follow those directions, the more likely I'm going to end up where I'm trying to go in the first place. Yeah, you never know. You might take a wrong turn and end up somewhere better anyway, right? <laughs> well, you, you know what's actually funny, and and if I can extend this and squeeze every ounce out of this GPS analogy that I can, because <laughs> I do, do think this is I'm an important. Stealing it. Yeah, Alan, please I'm do. Stealing it. I'm stealing it. So you're good. Please do. Well, I've stolen it from somewhere else. All of this is stuff that I hope we all continue to pay forward, which is you know why I'm honored to be on your podcast in the first place, where we can have a conversation that certainly stimulates our own thinking, but hopefully this is adding adding value to your listeners and is something they can implement as well. When it comes to the GPS and uh, I'm notoriously bad with directions that, you know, even when I have a GPS, I still tend to miss turns or not get off on the right exit, you know, and, and when that happens, not my GPS, which I'm sure is the same as everybody else's just says in a very sterile voice, rerouting, rerouting. I missed the turn rerouting. You know, it, it, it doesn't call me an idiot. Uh, it doesn't turn itself off or try to jump out of the window. It, it, it just simply says rerouting. And that's a really good lesson for all of us that anytime you make a mistake or you have a misstep or, you know, in the game of basketball, obviously you, you turn the ball over or you miss a shot or whatever it may be. Uh, don't take it personal and don't beat yourself up. Just simply reroute, just move to the next play. You know, we're all going to miss turns in life. We're all going to not get off on the right exit. Uh, just reroute. And, and it's the same thing with as human beings, if we know where we are in the moment and we know where we're trying to go, it's not going to be a straight shot. We're going to miss some turns. And when you do just find a way to course correct and get right back where you need to go to get back on the path of, of trying to reach your final destination. And that's one area that I've really tried to make improvement in myself over the last few years is giving myself the same grace and compassion uh, that I would give a friend or a loved one. You know, like many people, uh, I can be 
uh, very self-critical and, and, you know, expect a level of excellence and perfectionism with things that I do. And then when I fall short of that, actually feel bad. Well, well, I've kind of gotten away from that over these last few years and I'm much happier and much more fulfilled from it. Uh, I no longer uh, desire or expect perfection. Uh, you know, I'm a human being, I'm fallible, just like everybody listening to this. So that's no longer my marker of success. Uh, instead I'm looking for progress. So to me, progress is way more important than perfection. Uh, uh, I'm going to have some missteps. I'm going to make some mistakes. That's okay. I'm just going to simply reroute and get right back on course. Alan, I love the, the add on to that. I appreciate that so much. And a line that you just mentioned in there about giving yourself grace. Uh, in my family, I have four kids of my own. And every year we do the John Gordon one word for the year thing to kind of get us focused in a positive direction. And my daughter this year actually chose that word for herself which is to give herself some grace, which I thought was powerful for a, an 11-year-old. Um, but hopefully just trying to get that message across, which I think my wife and I seem to be doing a pretty decent job. I know you have some some boys of your own. How do you like influence them? Like, Do you have the same you know, speaker engagement or is there different ways that you, you know, I don't want to use the word dumb down, but maybe re- reword for your kids for them to pick up these lessons as well how does that work you know in your own personal family well well for me i'm i just absolutely love the harmony between what it is that i do and share for a living and being a father. And uh, just for context, for anyone that doesn't know, I have 11-year-old twin sons, Luke and Jack, and I also have an almost nine-year-old daughter, Lila. And uh, I'm very amicably divorced, so uh, I don't have the traditional uh, family uh, unit at, at present, but I have my kids half of the time and work really hard to develop a, a strong connection and relationship with them. I'm very good friends with, with my ex and with their mom, so uh, that certainly uh, helps uh, in the big picture. And and it's really neat now that they're, you know, nine and 11 years old. Um, we have some pretty mature conversations, you know, yes, when they were four and five, I certainly had to, um, alter my terminology a little bit so that, that I could speak in a language that would resonate and they'd understand. But, but now at their current age, uh, I don't, talk to them as if they're children. I talk to them as if they are the adults that I hope they grow to be one day. Uh, and we have many of these same conversations, you know, and in fact, uh, whenever you guys air this, uh, I'll let them know that, Hey, I had this awesome conversation. You guys might want to listen to this episode. And, and part of my parenting philosophy, I'm, I'm very hands off. Uh, I don't ever force my kids to do anything. So I would never, you know, uh, sit down and, and hold them down and make them listen to this. But I'd let them know, hey, I had an awesome conversation and I think you guys might want to check it out. And in the, the, the same language and tone uh, that I'm using with you guys, I use with my own children. And we talk about many of these exact same things. And, and I absolutely love uh, fatherhood, but, but really am so thankful that there is so much alignment between what I do for a living and what I do in my, my personal life, especially with my children. So at 11 years old... Um what kind of conversations or, or habits are you kind of promoting there? Um, like when, you know, you're on the road with your book, raise your game, secrets of why the best are the best. Um, is it just kind of like baby steps with the boys to teaching them these things? Are you mentoring it just through your actions? I know you're talking about conversation, but it, do you feel like they can be overloaded? It, you know, 
the number one thing I do is simply try to model the behavior that I would love to see my kids emulate. Uh, and I certainly, I'm fine and, and actually prefer that they find their own path. You know, the game of basketball has been really good to me and has been a major pillar uh, for my entire life. But if my children aren't interested in basketball and want to do something else, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily steer them or push them in any direction, but I model the traits that I hope that they choose to emulate. You know, traits of being respectful and kind to everyone. Traits of, uh, you know, as we said, how you do anything is how you do everything and preparation and giving your best effort as consistently as you can, you know, having a good attitude. Uh, but I also model for my children that it is as optimistic and positive as I am in my hard wiring, I am not those things 24 seven. You know, I know for anyone that doesn't know me personally, only knows me superficially on social and so forth. You probably figure Alan is a really uh, optimistic, high energy, positive guy. And I will say that to my core, that's kind of what I'm made up of. But you all better believe that I have low moods, that I get frustrated, disappointed, angry, upset, sad, jealous. I feel a full range of emotions as any human being does. And I don't try to suppress those or resist those. You know, I allow myself and give myself permission to feel those things. Now, I don't let them dictate my behavior. You know, just because I'm feeling upset or angry or in a low mood, I won't allow myself to lash out or be disrespectful to someone or or post something negative or inappropriate. You know, uh, the, my, my emotions are simply here to inform me. They're not here to direct me. But that's been over these past couple of years in particular has really helped the connection with my children is I don't try to put on a front for them and I don't try to just make sure when they're with daddy, it's all smiles and everything's hip, hip, hooray. You know, I let them know when something's bothering me. I let them know that I'm disappointed that I didn't get this speaking gig that I was hoping to get. I let them know that, hey, I gave a virtual talk this morning and while the audience thought it was pretty good, it was not my best performance. You know, I've got some things that I need to tweak and fix. So uh, I try to be incredibly honest with them and fully transparent and, and, and model that behavior that I want to see in them. And to me, that's been what's most helpful. But we have talks that are similar to the talk you, you know, we're having at this moment all of the time, you know, for, uh, and anyone that has children around my kids age can probably appreciate. So uh, my twin sons in particular, um, are addicted to their iPads. They play Injustice and they play Fortnite any moment they can get. So their mom and I have had to put some parameters in place to make sure they are not glued to a screen 24-7. And they put a significant amount of time into those two games and to no surprise, they've gotten much better at them. And I, I let them know that, hey, the reason you've gotten better is because you practice. Anything that you devote your time and attention to and practice with purpose, you'll improve. Now, at the moment, they don't seem to have an interest in putting that same level of attention and effort and time into sports. Uh, my son, Jack, plays basketball. My daughter, Lila, plays basketball. My son, Luke, is really into boxing. And while they enjoy those things, they don't put a ton of time or effort into them. And I told them that that's okay. That is 100% their choice. If they just want to play basketball at a recreation level and just have some fun with their friends and practice once a week and play a game once a week, that is totally fine. I'll drive them, support them, and cheer for them with all my heart. However, and we had this talk literally 48 hours ago, if and when you decide that you want to be the best basketball player you can be, then you're going to need to make a sacrifice and you're going to need to put the iPad down and devote some of that time, if not the vast majority of it, to your craft as a player. 
And if you're willing to do that, you will see yourself improve as a player. If you're not, once again, that's okay. This is not me telling them, turn off the iPad and go outside and make 200 shots. That's completely up to them. But there is no question right now in their minds of what it would take to improve. And that's all that matters to me as a parent. And same thing with their schoolwork. You know, if you want to get better in art or music or theater uh, or any sport or anything, you need to be willing to devote, you know, attention and focus and purposeful practice. So I'm just thankful as a father that the message is clear. Now, what they choose to do with it is completely up to them. I'll, I'll love them unconditionally no matter what. Yeah, I think you just maybe st- stole my line from the opening day of school <laughs> because that's the same conversation. I, I teach 12-year-olds, and that's the same conversation I have with my students as well as my children. Like all of them know exactly how to play this game or Call of Duty or you know figure out how to get onto their um, YouTube channel, right? But whatever you spend the time with is what you're going to be really, really great at. Alan, I appreciate that so much. Um, you were talking about, you know, having this persona, you know, as a speaker and, you know, some that might know you superficially might see one thing, but like anybody, you have your off days and deal with other stuff. What are some of the things that you do that kind of gets you out of that funk and gets you back into, you know, a positive frame of mind? Well, one thing that most people do not know about me is I am heavily introverted and that does not mean that I'm antisocial and that does not mean that I don't like people because both of those things are, are, are simply not true. It means that in order for me to recharge my own battery and fill my bucket to be my best self, I need time uh, alone. I need solitude. I need quiet individual thinking time to recharge my battery. And, you know, it's kind of neat. The the way my life has unfolded, uh, thankfully, has has really helped with that because, uh, one, as I mentioned, I'm amicably divorced. So I only have my kids half of the time. Uh, that means the, t- the half of the time that I don't have them, I can do whatever I need to do, not only for my business, but to refill my own bucket to make sure that when I do have my children, I can be my best self and I'm fully charged and, and ready to go. Same thing with the speaking business. You know, in theory, I have to be quote unquote on 70 to 80 times per year, you know, whether it's on stage or, you know, in this past year doing things virtually where I'm ready to pour into an audience and give them my heart and soul. But all of the time in and around that, especially leading up to it, uh, I make sure to pun very much intended here, quarantine myself off so that I can be in complete solitude so that I'm ready to give my best. You know, uh, it's amazing. Even doing a conversation like this with you guys, which, you know, may last 45, 50 minutes, maybe 60 minutes. You know, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than this. I love having stimulating conversations and I love sharing, but as crazy as this sounds, and I'm just sitting in my home office, uh, here in a suburb of Washington, DC. So I'm not, it's not even like I'm physically doing anything challenging. But the at the end of this conversation, I'll be a little emotionally drained. You know, I, I will have spoken and shared, uh, you know, for close to an hour and I'll need to take 20 to 30 minutes after this just to kind of decompress and chill out to refill my battery so that I can then go on to whatever the next thing is that I have. And, and I've learned that about myself. So I've learned what I need to do to show up whether I'm showing up at dinner with my children, showing up to be on your podcast or showing up to speak to a few thousand people on a, on a virtual uh, presentation, I know what I need to do to get myself to that level. And same thing when I find myself 
frustrated or irritated or sad or depressed or whatever, fill in the quote unquote negative feeling. I go through a pretty similar process. First, I acknowledge that I'm feeling that. I don't suppress it. I don't resist it. And I realize and recognize that that feelings are ever fleeting. You know, I know, hey, I'm a little irritated right now. In a couple of hours, I won't be. It's not that big a deal. And I also know that on the other end, hey, I'm really happy at this moment. Well, I know this isn't going to last forever and I'm okay with that. So I, I don't try to, to hold on to any emotion or feeling. I just let them kind of flow through me. Uh, but the next thing I do is I dig a little deeper and I actually ask myself, why am I feeling this way? You know, I'm, I'm frustrated right now. Why am I feeling frustrated? What, what's inside of me or what is this triggering? You know, uh, what, what is this telling me about myself? Because usually an emotion like that is simply revealing something that you already have inside of you. So I, I try to dig a little deeper and figure out why am I frustrated? You know, usually if somebody cuts you off in traffic and your instant impulse is to get riled up and pissed off and maybe give them the finger, you're not actually upset that someone cut you off. That's just a trigger to something a little bit deeper. And maybe that thing that's deeper is, is disrespect. You feel that that person that cut you off disrespected you and you have some baggage from years ago, uh, something very painful in your past of when people disrespected you or made fun of you or something like that. And it's basically uh, evoking that emotion. So it's not that the person that cut you off did anything. It's that it's triggering something deeper inside of you. So I really try to get a feel for why I'm feeling a certain way. And then I just give myself permission to feel it. Like I said, uh, I use it as information, just sterile data. I do not let it direct my behavior. So I cannot stress enough. There are times where I'm feeling irritated or frustrated. Uh, and then I make sure that those are times where I kind of quarantine myself off uh, because I don't want to lash out at someone or be disrespectful. Now, if there are times where, you know, uh, maybe something happened and I was a little frustrated three minutes before I jumped on with you guys. I also have the level of professionalism that I can compartmentalize that and say, okay, I'm really frustrated by what happened this morning, but I, I'm a professional and I have a job to do and I need to show up for these guys and, and give them my A game on their podcast because that's what they deserve and that's what their audience deserves. So I'm going to shelve this feeling and put it on ice for a few moments. I'm going to do this podcast and then whenever it's over, if I'm still feeling that way, I'll revisit it at that time. So I'm not suppressing it or resisting it or hiding it. I'm just putting it on ice because I gave you guys a commitment that I would be with you and give you my best. And I'm going to honor my word and do that. Awesome stuff, Alan. Also, when you're recharging or like are you saying, quarantining down and you uh, want to throw on a podcast or get into a book, what are some that you're either reading or listening to? What are your go-to pods? Oh yeah. And that's, you know, really what I've tried to do. And I've made several changes, uh, over these last few months in particular, um, uh, with trying to watch less shows and things on Netflix and Amazon prime and spend more time either watching documentaries. So something educational or inspirational, I've been devouring podcasts. Uh, I've been doing a ton of running, especially over the pandemic, since I haven't been going to the the normal gym, uh, and always listen to podcasts on my run. Um, and and you know, so I, I basically don't listen to any music anymore. Everything I listen to as a podcast and everything I watch is something hopefully educational, uh, which certainly helps. You know, I'm a big believer that if you want to improve your outputs, 
then you need to improve your inputs. So the more information that I can be taking in on a daily basis to learn and to grow, uh, then the more I'll be able to fine tune my own philosophy and convictions and, and have better things to share with others. I mean, on some level, every single thing that I've shared with you guys so far in our conversation are things that have either been modeled for me, taught to me, things that I've picked up from mentors and friends, learned along the way. I mean, I, I'm not just making all of this stuff up out of thin air. This is all stuff that that has to do with the information that I subject myself to. So uh, I listen to uh, a wide variety of podcasts. Um, let me, here, I'll even grab my phone and pull a few of them up just to let you know what I'm listening to uh at the moment. And it, and this rotation can kind of change all of the time. Uh, so let's see here. I've got the Hal Elrod achieve your goals podcast. Uh, there's a podcast called feel better, live more, uh, the Drew Purit podcast, uh, on purpose with Jay Shetty suiting up with Paul Rabel, the learning leader show with uh, Ryan Hawk, the Jordan Harbinger show, Tim Ferriss show, unlocking us with Brene Brown. I mean, these, these are all, uh, and, and that's only about half of the ones I have in my feed, but I figured that was sufficient at the moment. Um, uh, listening to those, you know, as often as I can. Alan, those are uh, some great listens. I think those are on some of Coach Clump's playlist as well. Listen, hey, I don't want to cut you off, but we've kept you probably longer than we probably should have in the first place. Listen, we are so appreciative that you came on. Eric and I both, obviously, we have said followed you on social media for a while. I had an opportunity to see you years ago at like a high school clinic in Pennsylvania. And I'll say this, the energy you brought then uh, is equal to the energy you brought for us today. And it's no surprise, I don't think, to people that listen to you that, you know, you're having so much success. We, uh, we're just super excited that you were able to join us today. Oh my goodness. It was absolutely my pleasure, guys. I appreciate your support, appreciate your interest and, and appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners. So pleasure was all mine. Yeah, appreciate it. One last thing though, before you do go, I think it's widely known that you have worked with Kevin Durant in the past. Am I okay saying that? You most certainly are. Absolutely. I'm very proud of that fact. So are they getting the, are they going, speaking of winning championships? I was going to ask, gonna I was going to finish the pod by asking the same question. See, that's how linked up you and I are, Coach. So, Alan, what are you thinking? In the NBA in today's day and age, almost everything is predicated on health. You know, so uh, if if you were to say if you could wave a magic wand and every team in the NBA would remain at 100% health for the rest of the season and through the playoffs, uh, then I, I do think you'd see the Lakers versus the Nets in the finals. And boy, that would be one heck of a finals uh, to, to witness. But we just don't know that, you know, I mean, you know, with LeBron or AD going down for long stretches or KD and James Harden going down for long stretches. And uh, as much as I, I love Kyrie Irving and I really and truly do, you know, he can be somewhat sporadic and when he chooses to show up, um, you, you just don't know. So so the big missing piece is whether or not people can actually stay healthy. But, um, you know, King James is King James for a reason, and it's going to take somebody really good to knock them off the pedestal. Uh, but I do believe that KD and Harden and Kyrie and the, the rest of their supporting staff with the Nets, um, if they can all stay healthy and play together, they're really, really, really good. And, and I would not bet against them. Oh, Alan, it's, you know, we know you love basketball. Do you got a, f a favorite NFL team? 
Uh, you know, I don't. I, I live in Washington Redskins country, so pretty much everyone around here is a Redskins fan, even though um, they haven't been very successful on the field for a long, long time. And I guess now that I even just said that, they're not technically the Redskins anymore. I guess I'm supposed to call them the, the Washington football team. Uh, but no, I don't really have a rooting interest um, in any of the sports, to be honest with you, outside of uh, I am a Duke basketball fan just because of my allegiance to Coach K. But I have so many friends and colleagues and former players and relationships relationships on a wide variety of teams that I don't really root for any specific team in any sport. You know, I kind of root for the guys that I know, guys that I have relationships with, and I'm, I'm always wishing them well. So uh, it's not that I'm a bandwagon jumper, but on any given night, I can be rooting for somebody different just because I want to see the people that I care about do well. Awesome. Well, Alan, we so- wish you... Well, Eric, Eric, I got to interrupt okay. for one second that we got to get him to do um, a presentation for our Buffalo Bills because then he can root for the Bills. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Coach McDermott, I think, and him would have a lot to chat about. Uh, well, if, you, if you've got a connection, please make the introduction. I would love that. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right, Eric, go ahead. No, I was just saying, we're going to wish Alan well as, you know, maybe as these COVID restrictions lighten up and he can get traveling around everybody can hear what he's got to say and he can lead serve and care for anybody that wants um it's been a it's just been an absolute pleasure alan thanks for coming on yeah thanks alan my pleasure and and one last thing if i can there so uh even though i kind of left the direct training space um you guys as educators and coaches and student athletes will always uh mean the world to me and anytime i can be of service to them i I aim to do that Uh, so two things that your listeners may find value in Uh, one is i know we've mentioned my book a couple times but uh, there have been so many different teams that have done a formal book study uh, or a book club with my book so if anyone emails me alan at allensteinjr.com I can get you a very hefty discount uh, on a team set of books and I can sign them in advance and I can even include a free copy of my facilitator guide and team member workbook so that you guys can read the book as a team and actually implement uh, the strategies you know I'm a big believer that teams that read together succeed together and then the other is I just launched a new site called makeyourgameplan.com uh, it's actually not up at the moment that we're recording this but will be up within 24 hours so by the time this airs, just go to makeyourgameplan.com. There is an online course uh, that you can get for your team or your entire athletic department uh, that is a great way to reinforce and supplement all of the stuff that that we teach as coaches. Uh, There is a coaching track for that as well as a uh, student-athlete track, and it's something I would highly recommend coaches invest in for their players over the summer. Awesome. That's great. I'm excited to get that that information out there to everybody. Well, Coach, we appreciate you. Uh, thanks for coming on. And if there's anything we can do in the future, let us know. Likewise. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 